Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. We shared last Sunday about how God created us in his image. An image means impression, uh, to leave a mark. And that God is uh, the same way that... um, Caesar's image was impressed on a coin, God's image has been impressed on mankind, correct? That we were created in the image of God. And Jesus tells the Pharisees that were trying to trap him, he tells them, show me a coin. And he asks, whose image is on the coin? And they say, Caesar's. And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. In other words, give to Caesar what his impression is on. In other words, whatever has its impression, that thing belongs to that person. Uh, If you look at any Nike shoe, any Under Armour shoe, any uh, any Mercedes, it has an emblem that identifies the maker and that vehicle belongs to them. And there's a certain quality that goes along with any emblem, with any symbol that is placed on any product. When you buy a Toyota, whether you buy a Lexus, there's a certain emblem that identifies the certain level of expectation. That if you buy a luxury car, you expect a certain expectation on that image that is on that vehicle. Come on, somebody. You expect a Mercedes to operate a little different than you would a Yugo. You have to be a little older to know what a Yugo is. Now, if you're, you're, you're young and you're not laughing, it's because you don't know what a Yugo is. All right? Google it. All right? Google it. You'll figure it out. But when you realize that, that whatever image is on it determines the quality of something, what Jesus was saying is that money has the image of man on it, but I've placed my image on man. Man was created in my image in the same way that that money belongs to Caesar. All mankind belongs to me. Come on, somebody. So we belong to God. And I shared that with God created Adam, Adam fell. And as a result of that fall, we lost the image of God. And Adam creates or recreates a son in his own image. And today I want to I pick that up and talk about how when Adam failed, God stepped in and sent Jesus to set right what Adam failed in. And so if you would stand to your feet, turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. If you're here, say amen. Thank you so much, Vivi. You got to get a glass on your table that we can just tips up there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus, after he's baptized and after he's gone through the 40 days of fasting and and, and the, the temptation period, his first words that he preaches in public is right here. How do we restore the image of God? How do we get God's image back in our lives again? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says, from then on, Jesus began to preach Repent. Everyone say repent. Look at your neighbor. Tell him repent. Repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Everyone say repent one more time. Father, help 
in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want you to notice that that word repent is a compound word in the Greek that joins two other words together. And what are those words that met, and I apologize for the light that's kind of drowning out half of the screen, but that first word meta means to change. It's where we get the word metamorphosis, where, where a, uh, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. There's a transformation. It, it's not, it becomes a totally different species. That word change, and so totally transform. The other one means to exercise the mind. So when we say repent, Jesus was saying this, I need you to change how you think. Come on, somebody. That if God is going to change where you go, he has to first change how you think. How many know you'll never lose weight until you change your thinking? How many know that you'll never get out of debt until you change your thinking? You'll never break addictions until you change your thinking. So I need you to understand that everything starts, every transformation, every metamorphosis starts with thinking. And Jesus understood that. And so Jesus tells us, and he takes time to say, repent, change your mind. Change your thinking. And many of us are, are trying to change through willpower what can only be changed through repentance. And we are trying to change things through willpower, trying to be better. But how many of you know that when you're trying not to eat that chocolate cake, that chocolate cake now becomes more desirable? Right? The very thing you try not to think of becomes the thing you focus in. And so instead of trying to change what I do, I have to change my thinking first. And everything, that's what Jesus was saying. you got to change your thinking. Because you can't bring a single mentality into a marriage. you got to change your thinking, right? You, you can't bring a me-only mentality when you have children. When you have kids, it changes your life. Come on, come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Changed everything. And for the car I drove, the, the clothes I wore, it changed everything. Everything came from, from me looking good to now taking care of them. Yeah. Everything became centered around what I want to eat became what they want to eat. Yeah. I want McDonald's. I want a Happy Meal. Before you know it, we're, that's all, all we're doing. is, we're, And then all of a sudden, I'm blowing up and wondering, <laughs> why, am I, why am I getting bigger? I look at a picture that we had with my second daughter. I'm like, who's that fat dude holding my baby? <laughs> Angela goes, that's you. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's when I realized I needed a change. Repentance is vital because to repent means a change of thinking, a change of attitude, and a change of our purpose. And you can't go in the same direction with a repentance mentality i need you to understand that there's many that are convicted but there are few that are converted oh you come to church and you get convicted and you're like "Ooh, ow ooh, oh pastor that was good oh you're you're masochist you love to be you, you love to get to get hit in the face spiritually oh to, for a word to go out that's like "Ooh, ow that hurt oh they stepped on my toe oh man pastor brought it today you don't change but that's oh pastor brought it today And we love for someone to sit there and just tell us how, how bad we are, how we messed up, because we would rather feel convicted than change. Because it's easier to feel bad than to convert. But Jesus' purpose was never for you to feel bad or remorse. He wanted you to be converted. 
That's why he died. It's bigger than what we're going through right now. He died on the cross so that we would be converted, not just feel sorry. And so repentance is stronger than remorse. It's stronger than regret. It's bigger than saying, I'm sorry, I feel bad for what I do, but then still keep going. If you want to restore the image of God that Adam lost, the only way we get it back is through Christ. Someone needs to hear me this morning. You see, repentance is required to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You will not get into the kingdom of heaven without repentance. There are going to be many on that day that say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we, didn't we pray for the sick? Didn't we speak in tongues? Didn't we give to the poor? Didn't we do this? Didn't we sing in the choir? Didn't we go out and, and hand out food to the homeless? Didn't we get involved in this ministry or that ministry? And he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for the place prepared for the devil and his angels, for I never knew you. And as an under-shepherd of this church, uh, when God calls roll call, it's the CWC San Jose, come up. And I step up and he says, you are the under-shepherd for this church. You're the shepherd that watches over them. I don't want to stand there as I see you in line with your families coming up one by one. And as you stand there and you're like, I'm, I'm, I got my reservation to heaven. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. Hey, so God, gotcha. You know, I gave my tithe. You know, I, I showed up once a month. I show, you know, every so often, you know, I couldn't go every week. I got a social life now. I got other things going on. But I showed up and when I, when I was in town and, and so forth. I, I even sang in the choir. I sang in the worship team. I played an instrument. I did this. I did that. And when you stand before God and God says, depart from me, for I never knew you. That when I stand before God and I'm standing for myself, God's not going to be concerned about what I did for him. But am I a follower of Christ? Did I repent? Oh, it got quiet in here. It's your repentance. Well, what about grace? What about grace, Pastor? Did you repent? Did did you change your thinking? Did you change your direction? Jesus says this is what he's speaking. Repentance is only evident when there's a change, which means a change is required. You see, there has to be evidence that we've had a God encounter. Let let me put it this way. If you were to fall off this roof of this building right here and land face first in the concrete and survive, and survive, how many know there would be evidence of the impact? And yet we say we had an impact or an encounter with God, but you look the same. There has to be a change. There has to be evidence. I'm not saying that you're perfect. I'm saying that there's, a, there's evidence that we had some kind of encounter with God. So if we say a prayer, a sinner's prayer, but there is no transformation, there is no evidence, you did not have an encounter with God. You had a religious experience. And religious experiences don't get us to heaven. Repentance does. Repentance is the only thing that restores the image of God in our lives. Come on, somebody. 
Now, now follow me on this. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look, look, look what happens here. This is God talking about Adam. It says, for 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. All right? For as in Adam all died, someone say Adam all died. So, so when we take our timeline, Adam, here, from Adam on, there was death. All death because of sin. So let, let me put it to you this way. All right? Gov, would you stand here real quick? This is Adam. Adam right here. Because you messed up. See, bro, and you're even joking about it, man. See, that's what got us in trouble to begin with, man. So because of Adam, because of him doing what you, because of what he did, from him on was death until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes, now as a result, now we have life. It says, for as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, how do we do that? Look at verse, chapter 15, verse 45. And so it's written that the first Adam became a living being. In other words, Adam, created and formed by God, God breathed breath into him. And he became what? A living being. He had a pulse. Everyone do this right now. You feel the pulse? That means you're a living being. Okay? You're alive. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen? If, if you have breath this morning, give God a shout of praise. Amen. Remember, the breath belongs to him. Now, first Adam was given life. But the second Adam gives life. Look, look what he says. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. One has life, the other gives life. So when we accept Christ, now, no matter where we're at today in 20, 2016, we have the ability, when I accept Christ into my life, I'm able to pull him into my today. And he becomes part of my being right now. And I am reborn when I repent. And all of a sudden, this life now lives through me. Paul says, the life that I live, I no, longer, I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. So as a result, when I accept Christ, I now have the ability, I'll check this out, somebody. I do not just have a pulse like this guy. I have the ability now to give life to my family, to my children, to my co-workers, to my city. I have the ability, because of him, to give life. You are life-giving. That's why it's so powerful. Do you understand that when you repent and you shift and you change, you give life to others? Pastor Ray, that's why what you accomplished when you broke that addiction of drugs and you got through that situation. Now, when other drug addicts see what they are going through, that they can look at you and see how you broke it, how you were set free, and now you can give them life. 
when your marriage was on the verge of breaking up and somehow Christ came in and put it back together again. Now you're a life-giving spirit to other marriages. Oh, somebody got to grab this this morning. Thank you, gentlemen. His image only grants us life. It doesn't just grant us a life. It gives us life to help others. That's why you're doing what you're doing, bro. You're helping ex-gangsters out because you came out of that and now you're a life-giving spirit. It's not enough to have a pulse. I was created to give life. You were created in the image of God to give life. Oh, someone's got to grab this. You got to grab a hold of this right now. That's why, why am I surrounded with so many dead people? Because you're here to give life. Instead of breathing doubt and discouragement and then start breathing life. His image empowers us to be the one. And so now, now follow, me, follow me on this, all right? Everything God created, he designed with the ability, the innate ability to do what they were created to do. Let this sink in for a little while, okay? Everything God created, he created it with the innate ability to do what he created them to do. In other words, you have the ability to do what God called you to do. That ability is in you. It's, 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 it's wired into who you are. Let me put it this way. Have you ever seen a fish drown? A bird afraid of heights. You fall. Fish doesn't have to learn to swim. He has the ability to breathe underwater from the moment he's born. He has the ability to swim. He, he, he's adaptable to the environment that God created him for. A bird has the ability to fly. They're not afraid of heights. They're not, oh, I'm getting too high and come back down. They, they don't do that because they, they have it in them. God has wired them with the DNA and the ability to do what only they can do because God created them to do it. Oh, somebody got to grab this. You were designed. You were fashioned in the image of God to dominate. You were created to rule you were created to influence so everything you need is wired into you you don't have to learn it you don't have to beg for it you don't have to fight for it it's in you like a fish you just got to start doing it you got to just start walking in what you were created to do you got to start flying Stop worrying about how high it is. Just start flying. It's, it's wired into you. That's who you were created for. Now, now, now follow me. The repentance is so vital because if we don't repent, we don't change. And God gives us all the opportunity. I want to share a quick story with you found in the book of Matthew chapter 19. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 19. Amen. Tell him he's talking to you. Tell your neighbor he's talking to you. Tell your other neighbor he's talking to me. <laughs> yeah. Matthew 19. Jesus just gets done. This is such a cool story because Jesus is here. He just gets done bringing all the children unto him. And as he brings them unto him, he fights with the disciples and tells them, let the children come. And he blesses them. Now, I told you before, that word bless is the word eulogy. 
Where do we hear the word eulogy from? Funerals. The only time we say something good about someone is when they die. You know, some of y'all need to start eulogizing your husband and your wife right now. You're like, yeah, I'm writing. What are you doing? I'm writing your eulogy. I'm going to kill you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but that word, that word eulogy means bless. That you imagine sitting on the lap of Jesus as a little kid, as Jesus is speaking blessings, you're going to be a world changer. You're going to set captives free. You're going to grow up to rule nations. You're going to do this. You're going to, and Jesus is just speaking life to these kids. And after he does that, he sends them away. And as soon as he sends them away, this man comes walking up to him and falls in front of him. Now, now this dude is dressed to the nines. He has the Armani silk suits. This guy's walking with, with, with the finest shoes, the finest sandals that, that, that money could buy. He rolls up in his Lamborghini chariot with 24s on it, with stereo bumping, and he has, he has an entourage of, uh, of ladies and men around him that are, that are helping him out of the carriage, individuals that are all around him. And yet in front of all his entourage, he bows before Jesus. And this is what the word says. Another day, a man stopped by Jesus and said, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Now, you look at that and say, Pastor, where did you just get all that stuff you just said? Well, if you look in the book of Matthew, you look in the book of Luke, and you look in the book of Mark, you find that all three of these stories combine in that if you go CSI, you could pull out different things of what's going on in this story, that they're all the same person, but each one focused in on a little something different. So I'm going to talk about all three of those gospels in one story. And I'm going I'm to take p- bits and pieces, and we find out from that that this was the rich young ruler. Everyone say rich young ruler. Now, now, we know when Kevin Warren was here, Kevin told us a simple thing. We know three things about him, that he was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. It's deep. But, but there's, there's something that goes along with that. Rich meaning this, he was self-sufficient. He didn't need anyone else. He had everything that he needed. That when he was young, the, the, according to the Greek word that's used there for man, that he's under 40 years old from 25 to about 40 years old is how old he is. So he's in the prime of life. And yet he has the world at his fingertips, anything that he would want. And he's a ruler, which means he's influential. Some people believe that he was literally a, a, a leader in the church, a leader in the, in the synagogue, one of the local synagogues. And he comes to Jesus. This guy, he has it all. And he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life because this guy's wise enough to understand that although I have all the money, although I have my entourage, although I got my chariot and I got so many things when I sit home alone and I look at my 75 inch flat screen television, I realize that I'm still empty missing something. I live on the hill, I see, I look over the whole city, but I'm missing something. And there, there's something that he had all, everything that money could buy, yet he knew that he was missing something. And he comes to Jesus and he simply asks him this, God, if, if you break down all the questions from Matthew, Mark, Luke, you find that there was one simple question he was asking. Simply this, what am I missing? What am I missing? I, I thought I had it all. 
thought I had this nailed. I thought I had it cornered, but what am I missing? And then Jesus tells him, I want you to notice what, what takes place here. Jesus responds to him, and he quotes the commandments, and he, he quotes the last five commandments that deal with our horizontal relationships, how we treat one another. I find that interesting. Jesus is telling him how you treat other people. Instead of just saying what he said earlier and love your neighbor as yourself. But he knows that this is a religious leader, so he takes time to painstakingly point out each and every one of those five commandments. And because the first part of the commandments deal with our vertical relationship between us and God, the last ones deal with our horizontal relationships with one another. And so when he does, does this, notice what Jesus says. Then after he does it, Jesus says this, or he says, which ones should I obey the commandments? Which ones should I do? See, you notice one thing about successful people. Successful people want to know exactly what to do. They don't want to waste time with, with, with uh, things that are going to just waste their time. Right? So when Jesus says obey the commandments, he's like, well, which ones? Give me, I want to, give, me, give me the shortcut to this thing. Cut to the chase. Which ones do I have to really focus in on here? Because I don't want to waste time on other ones. Just give me what I need to do. He's looking for details. He's looking, he wants to, to lock this thing down. And Jesus responds, gives him the five. And then after that, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey, I'm doing that. I got this, I got this down. I've been doing those things since I was a kid. I've been doing these things. Since, I, I, I got all these things handled already, Jesus. I got these things done. These things are already, already done. Then Jesus looking at him. I love what another version says. I believe it's the book of Luke. The book of Luke says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, come on. Jesus looked at him and loved him. When we think of that, many of us think love, love you know, is gonna, isn't going to take anything away from us. But Jesus loved him so much, he wanted to take him to a higher level. Jesus loved him. God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to waste your life on stuff. He doesn't want you to waste your life on things. He looked at him and he loved him. And he says in verse 21, if you want, he tells him, if you want to be perfect, if you want, if you want to give it your all, give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go and sell all your possessions, give everything to the poor. Well, can I keep a little something, something for me? Give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. In other words, invest into the kingdom, into your future. Then come and follow me. He gives them the same invitation he gave to Peter and his brother, to James and John, to Matthew and the disciples when he said, follow me. And you look at this and you think, well, man, God, Jesus, that's kind of harsh. He extends the same invitation, follow. Everyone say follow. follow. God's not concerned with you saying a prayer. He wants you to be actively following him. And so he, he invites him to follow. Now, what, what's a trip is this. Now, he's a religious leader. He was following the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus.
There's so many of us that have been in church all our lives, been born and raised in church, you've been, been around the church, you know about, you, you can quote scripture, you know about services, you know what time to come in. In fact, some of you come in right in time to where you don't have to worship, and you sit down right in time for right when we're about to start preaching the word, or and then you leave right before we're about to, about to uh, do an altar call or whatever. You, you, you know it, you got it down. You're obeying all the rules, but you're not following Jesus. It's not enough to follow rules. Jesus was inviting him to a relationship. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says this, righteousness is not defined by by not doing wrong. It's defined by what we do right. Let me explain it to you this way. How how many of us justify who we are based on, man, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't don't do drugs, I don't murder, I don't cheat, I don't steal, I don't gossip. And we, we judge ourselves based on our goodness, based on what we don't do. Don't raise your hands. That's not what Jesus is talking about. As a parent, I don't want my kids just not to do bad. I want my kids to do good. And, and, I, and I celebrate when they do good. And too many times we're focused in on not doing bad that we're not doing any good either. And recognizing the difference between sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of omission are just as bad as sins of commission. Sin of commission is when I do something wrong and I know what I'm doing wrong. I'm gossiping, I'm cheating, I'm lying, I'm murdering, I'm gossiping, and I'm doing all these things. I know what I'm doing wrong. These are acts, these are things that I'm doing, but they're sins of omission as well. They're sins that we do when we shoulda, coulda, would've done something, but we didn't. Where you should've Given a word of encouragement to that person where you should have added life to someone around you, when you should have met the need of that homeless person, when you should have spoke kindly to your wife or to your husband, when you should have, but you didn't. So as a result, it's a sin of omission. It's still a sin. Problem with this rich young ruler is that he was focused in on what he was going to lose rather than on what he got. Vivi, if you could help me. See, your greatest asset can become your greatest liability when it comes before God. Whenever we allow something to get in, our, get in the way between us and God, and notice this, and, and any of you that would, would in, in modern day society, especially here in the United States where we're aware of these kind of things, no one would worship this. If I stood here right now and I said, oh, clear substance, I pray now that you would help me with my wife. Bless my finances. Somehow help me overcome evil. And I worship this. You would look at me like, man, that dude has lost it becomes idolatry. I'm taking something from creation and worshiping it. Yet we do it every day when we take things that God has created and we place those things before him. And all of a sudden our jobs, our hobbies, our interests, our things, our, 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 our plans, all those things come before God and we begin to worship things that we created with our hands before we worship God. They get in the way of our relationship with God. 
Uh, Someone needs to hear me this morning. Notice what happens here. The, The rich young ruler had so much potential. You imagine him using his network, his resources, his finances for the kingdom? That after Judas died, what, what, if, what if he was the one that was supposed to step up as the next disciple? Yet he was so focused in on what he was going to lose. Look at verse 22. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. So crescent-fallen, in other words, he was depressed, broken, angry, sad. He walked away, and he was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. See, Jesus was revealing to him that he had already broken the first commandment. He thought he was doing them all. But that he had already broken the first commandment by loving the Lord your God with all your heart. That he had begun to worship other gods by putting money before God. I told you before that, that God understood you can't serve money in mammon. You can't serve God in mammon both. That, that word mammon, is a, it was a picture for a, for, for a God of, of money. So God understood the battle wasn't in our lives wasn't going to be between money, between Satan and God, because no one would choose Satan over God. But God did know our affections would struggle between money and God. See, the problem is this. He had already had another God before him. The problem wasn't the fact that he had many possessions. The problem was the fact that those many possessions had him. God wants you to be blessed. He just doesn't want those blessings to be to possess you, to take their place before God. And it's easy to feel sorry for him, but as I close this morning, I, I just want you to, to, to imagine with me for a second that this rich young ruler eventually became a rich old ruler. And on his deathbed, that rich old ruler is looking back on his life Assessing all surrounded by luxury, things that he didn't give up. And as he lays in that bed, his mind goes back to that one encounter with Jesus. That one moment that if he had just made the choice to follow Christ and to give these things up, that if he would have given up the things, he would have gotten something even more richer. Because the disciples may not have had a lot of money, but they had a lot of experience. Oh, you got to catch this. Peter even walks up to a man at the gate after Jesus died and resurrected again and says, silver and gold have I none. The rich young ruler could have walked up and said, man, I can break you off a piece. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. (laughs) I need you to hear this as we close. The disciples didn't have the money, but they had the experiences that money couldn't buy. They witnessed firsthand a little girl raised from the dead. With their hands, they broke bread and fish and multiplied it to feed thousands. They were there. Peter walked on water, baby. 
And all these individuals had, had, had experiences that no one else had because they chose to walk away from their businesses, chose to walk away from their livelihoods, chose to walk away and let go of things in order to get him. See, when I get him, I get everything. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying God doesn't want you blessed. God doesn't want you to have money. He just doesn't want money to have you. Let's close with this. Verse 23. You say, Pastor, that's your third closing. I know. I get four. (laughs) Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. So Jesus is saying it again, Pastor. Jesus is saying it. Say it again, Jesus. This is where I get it from. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world could be saved, they asked. They're like, wait, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Camel through an eye of a needle. Now, theologians theorize that there was a gate in Jerusalem that was a small gate. And that, that it was so small that if you were riding the camel... That had packed, you would pack it up with all your, your supplies and so forth from a trip. When you'd get to that gate, you would have to get off the camel, take all the bags off of the camel, get the camel on its knees, and pull the camel through the gate on its knees so the camel would have to crawl. And so you get them through. Then you'd have to go and get all your bags and then pull them through one by one and reload the camel. What many theologians say, this is what Jesus was saying. It's hard. It takes effort. It takes a lot of work. There's some things you got to let go. Some things you got to drop off. You got to humble yourself. And some things you got you to gotta work your way through. You got you to you gotta find your way through. Now, now, that sounds great. You're clapping. Good for you. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I literally believe that what he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved or to enter the kingdom. Why? Look, look, the disciples are tripping here. Then who in the world can be saved? Dang, Jesus, does that mean we got to be broke all our lives? That ain't right. That doesn't sound like what you were talking about earlier. Look what Jesus says. I love this. Verse 26, then he looked at them intently. Intently. He looked at them intently. Made eye contact with them. He's trying to prove a point. He's trying to get, get their attention here. And he says this. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God... Everything is possible. Follow me. Follow me. Now you may choose today not to follow after God. You may choose just to go according to the rules, go to church pray every so often, read my word, give, give an offering to the church. But you're following rules. You're not following Jesus. It's not what God wants for you. It's bigger than that. He died on the cross so that he could have a relationship with you, not for you to have a religious experience. 
God wants to restore his image on you, but the only way that happens is when we repent. He was telling the rich young ruler, son, you got to change your thinking. You're living for everything here, not recognizing that I want to give you something even greater. I want you to bow your heads right where you are just for a moment. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.com.